the most progressive thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and I don't mean that as any disrespect, because this is like, oh, did you freeze up on me? Oh, there we go. Did you hear that oh, horrible okay. thing I said? No, I missed it. Okay. <laughs> this is the most progressive thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Dang it. Yeah, this is this is this is why I'm a throwing progressive. <laughs> Zoom is trying to censor us. There is evil at work in the land to the west, Prince Ashitaka. It's your fate to go there and see what you can see with eyes unclouded by hate. Welcome to episode two of Eyes Unclouded, part two of the discussion on CRT, critical race theory. Today, I am joined by Aaron Rabinowitz. Aaron, how are you? Uh, great. Thanks for having me on. I like the uh, Princess Mononoke vibe. Hell yeah. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's a big inspiration for me. Like I put in the marketing copy, just to be able to see, to kind of perceive these things, even if I disagree with them through a, an objective lens as much as possible and to kind of attack them. Well, to, to try to to try to poke at them without any unnecessary hatred. So what, what are we talking about today? And well, before we get into that, do you mind introducing yourself? Uh, sure. My name is Aaron Rabinowitz. I am a uh, sometimes adjunct, currently a PhD student at Rutgers uh, Graduate School of Education. Um, my background is primarily in analytic philosophy, specifically ethics and metaethics. I'm studying moral education right now um, and have spent the past year reading quite a lot of the various kinds of woke theory that I think people are anxious about. Okay. Okay. So w you mentioned woke theory just now. And we're going to talk about critical race theory, but that does raise one of my immediate questions is, would you posit critical race theory as being included in the, what people are calling the woke world view and which, which I have included it, is that erroneous or what, what do you think? No, I think that's, I think that's correct. And I mean, um, you know, obviously there will be disagreements about language and there are folks on my side of things who don't like the term woke would prefer not to have it used i'm more in the like i think this can be sort of reclaimed and has you know some meaning to it and and like as a cluster concept brings together a bunch of fields of thinking and such that some of which are like in conflict with each other but like all are generally lumped under this brand of okay. wokeness things like feminist theory queer theory mm -hmm. etc including and it includes um critical race theory especially as it's applied in education mm. do you think that it's become a shorthand am i correct in thinking that it's sort of woke has become a derogatory shorthand for worldviews and discourse that you believe ha still has merit but it's not being shown its proper its proper place in in uh, uh, popular discourse because it's included in the woke shorthand that people, including myself, I will admit that have, have used. Is that a fair analysis? Yeah. So I mean, I think as I understand it, the origins of the word are within sort of black communities and marginalized communities as being the origins of the, word, of the word woke. Of the word woke, right? Okay. It comes from this usage of becoming aware of you know, things like systemic racism and the way that they impact people's lives. Um, and it has then, I think, broadened out to mean social justice, broadly speaking, or social awareness. Uh, usually it is used in a derogatory sense to mean kind of a fake version of that. Um, I think that I think I think it's fair to say 
It is very frequently lobbed specifically at white um, social justice advocates, though I don't think it is exclusively targeted at them. Um, mm -hmm. So I think, you know, just there are various ways that I think the usage is become sort of more nuanced in the sense that it has um, taken on all of these pejorative connotations. Um, but I, I self-identify as woke, quote unquote, because I think it is connected to a bunch of things that I think are valuable. And insofar as it is connected in those ways, we need to not shy away from it the same way I think we need to not shy away from the word liberal when people demonize that concept. Okay. Now I want to be, I want to try to give it a fair, to be, to, to try to fairly justify, um, and I, ha I can't help but use the shorthand woke, but I, I want to try to unpack what's behind the shorthand. And I think what's behind the shorthand, perhaps, or what originally was behind the shorthand and what might have been behind the, the, the leftist worldview, politic the, the political leftist worldview, perhaps, historically, like, I, I want to try to understand what the left is has always been best at and how this the, the term woke might be... Uh, mm -hmm tricking people into thinking that you know just because you're on the left doesn't mean that like you believe so and so uh, things and i would also make the same case for the conservative uh political outlook as well i think just because you're conservative doesn't necessarily mean like you're some bombastic trump supporter etc cetera, etc cetera. so okay in, mm -hmm. in in your view what is what has woke done at its best or or what has the left done at, at its best historically help me understand that because i'm naive to it Sure. So, I mean, my view being raised as a leftist, and I think it's also be funny to note that like folks who identify as leftist, which is generally, I think, an internet term that usually is more applied to like Marxist, social democrat, like economically left, often people who are in conflict in their minds with the woke who they think focus too much on um, cultural and social issues and less on economic issues. So that's, I think, one perceived divide on the left though i think they all get they should be able to get along and that like they're all working on 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 inter, in interconnected projects so but i think they will you know i just want to mention that some people will be like don't call the leftists woke and vice versa etc sure um but so what do they what do they do best right so to me the history of success on the left is a history of you know with fits and starts and a lot of conflict expanding the moral domain to include more people than just straight white landowning men right to include women to include people of color to include animals to include the environment um that the leftist project is one of social justice where social justice means taking more people's well-being into account than we did previously generally speaking okay. um and so i think they've been they've, they've made progress now obviously we haven't we haven't gotten all the way there and that's the sure. you know so i think wokeness is part of that tradition right I, I i i reject the idea that like the current state of social justice is somehow a world apart from the previous iteration um but i think you know where we are at right now is working on being aware that even though we have made progress and even though we live in a you know small l liberal society and that's a good thing um that that in many ways obscures ways that we have not made progress and need to be continuing to work hard such as um you know lack of improvement on segregation in schools or wealth gaps or things like that so 
yeah, I think that's that's where I think we've done work and where we need to keep working as a as a progressive community. Okay. Okay, so I, I heard the word include, like it, mm -hmm. that that this this worldview, um, this political outlook wants to focus and does focus on on inclusion is also a hot word right now to to include groups that aren't being properly taken taken care of. How how does it go about doing that? And it, I can define it as well the, the worldview we're speaking of of on the left that, that at its best. What are the means by which? And I was also trying to find a segue into CRT, and I think we're kind of getting there. And because CRT mm -hmm. is also trying to posit itself as one of the ways in which that it can help these groups that we seem to be describing right now. Yeah. Well, so let's let's talk about CRT as a specific example, and we can talk about the ways in which it has helped people. Then, right? So we can answer sort of two birds with one stone there. Um, so you know, I understand CRT to be a school of thought or a movement or, you know, the very various kinds of terms that refer to here's a group of thinkers who have some overlapping ideas, some disagreements, and they we generally clump them together because of their related views. You have similar problems with terms like postmodernism and such like that, right? But in this one, I think it's, it's fairly, you know, it's fair to say there is this sort of specific school of thought that arises in response to critical uh, legal studies, which is a kind of liberal um, Marxist critique of the ways in which things haven't gotten better despite improvements in the law during the civil rights era, mm -hmm. right? So you have the civil rights era, you have the, in theory, right, the outlawing of Jim Crow and the replacing of it with Civil Rights Act and voting rights and such like that. And then things don't get better in a lot of ways, right? And so these folks are asking, why aren't things getting better in these various kinds of ways? The critical legal folks focus on lack of change to material difference to class, to that sort of thing. The critical race theorists then come along and say, this is inadequately taking into account the degree to which race is playing a role in not bringing about the kind of social change that we are all nominally in favor of, right? And so, there you start to get various kinds of theories that have become sort of part of the lexicon now, though they're often misunderstood, things like intersectionality, interest convergence, these kinds of ex attempts to explain, here's why things aren't getting better for this particular group, even though we've changed the laws, it's because for example, in the case of intersectionality, their intersecting identities make it such that it is still legal to essentially discriminate against them without violating our current quote unquote colorblind laws. So then the benefit, right, in theory, and again, you can debate how effective this has actually been, the benefit was to push for changes to various laws, changes to various kinds of policies that made it um, so that those kinds of individuals in those situations could could get legal redress, right? Could get um, to challenge people when they are being discriminated against in terms of housing or things like that, and thereby pressure society to be more fair towards those particular groups. So that's that's sort of just a rough and tumble account of the method and and the hopeful conclusions. Mm -hmm. I heard rough and tumble. I should have told you before we were recording my internet. It's been a little bit bit dodgy, but no problem. Okay. I got your analysis, and I was going to ask you too earlier on to provide a definition of of CRT, like I had asked Christian as well, uh, so that mm -hmm. we don't go in two hours without providing one. <laughs> but would you well, would you that your definition? What would that be? 
like would it be fair to like say what you just described is like a, a definition or perhaps your definition of crt yeah that's pretty much my my sort of okay. practical definition and i just want to note that practical definition was given in several forms over the course of two hours sure. it's very strange to me that certain individuals have denied that a definition was provided but so it goes i think uh anyway sure sure i mean i figured i'd ask both of you uh separately mm -hmm. Like no problem. I've used my me my uh, my own thinking to discern like well what 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 seems better what what's what doesn't so okay okay so, so what, I mean what I was saying there basically makes sense though as a does, as a sort of it account makes sense and I appreciate the the analysis uh, there and now now yeah there were m multiple things that we could get into with what you just said mm -hmm. and I for the time being I think we should stick to critical race theory because that is exactly why I wanted to have you on my my first question is okay given everything you just said. Mm -hmm. How come we're seeing um, a, a pushback? I, I hope that doesn't come across as a loaded question because I have my reason. No, it's a good question. That, that, that is being pushed back. Why do you think that it's being pushed back? Because a lot of what you said sounds good. I can kind of, I can sympathize. And I think sympathize is the right word here with the with this the, the leftist worldview of, of being for disenfranchised, disenfranchised, marginalized people. I, I, I get that. My concern is are the methods by which we help disenfranchised and marginalized people working? And how do we measure the success of those tools with which we're using to solve these problems? So why mm -hmm. is it that we're experiencing a pushback if like, well, you know, you would think that this would be a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, you're probably not going to like my straightforward answer, right? Oh, I do please. think there are some people who've had negative experiences, sure. um, but I think for the most part, what we're experiencing is a moral panic. And I wrote about this recently in Arc Digi about. Yep, you're right. I, think... I like this. <laughs> Half yeah. but no, please, please go ahead. I'll, I'll hear no. you. Go ahead. Well, yeah, and let me define what I mean here, right? A moral sure. panic is a situation where. Um, either a non-existent problem, right, or a small problem is treated as being a gigantic problem, a, a, a world threatening kind of problem or something like that. Um, and, and often the way this works is uh, a few um, isolated cases combined with a lot of misinformation about not serious cases um, gets ginned up by a media ecosystem and um, scares a lot of parents. So like, you know, if you go on Fox News and you tell parents, someone is indoctrinating your children to make them hate themselves because they're white, right? And, you know, Fox News is your most reliable media news source. If you're a normal human being, you're going to be horrified, right? You're going to be angry. You're going to try to find out why you are being told that this is happening. I think it's horrible that like Fox News and these other organizations have so misrepresented the situation and so overblown what I think is not, not genuinely a serious crisis. Now, um, I think this is a long tradition, right? I've talked about the history of the culture wars on a, in a Skeptic Mag article as well, where I talk about, you know, before this, it was uh, PC police and, and cancel culture and gay agenda and, um, you know, trans, like all of these, I think, are by and large, these kinds of moral panics that are meant to scare a particular political group into being active enough in things like the midterms or apparently there's been some stuff going on in the um, Southern Baptist uh, Convention that may also be driving some of the dust up here around um, CRT. But so, yeah, I think that, that that's why I think you're seeing a lot of it. The same reason that, you know, 
nobody remembers, but you saw a lot of freaking out about, uh, you know, gay marriage in 2004 in time, just in time for the, the uh, reelection of, of George Bush. Sure. Okay. Following up on that, on indoctrination. Mm-hmm. So why I'm opposed to CRT is because I think that it's whoever's like the head honcho of this whole movement is should should probably win an award in marketing because i think that if if you want to put forward a worldview an outlook an idea a philosophy that has little chance of being argued against you market it to elementary school students so i think there's no chance of somebody raising their hands in in elementary school and say hey wait 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 this might not be the only way to look at the problems that your theory is trying to describe first of all because they're in elementary school Mm, I, w- I guess I would push back a little bit and say, in my experience, do. younger younger individuals are generally more likely to say this doesn't make any sense than adults who tend to want to go along to get along intellectually and will pretend to understand and will pretend to agree with a lot in a way that I think, you know, the, the phrase from the mouths of babes, I think has some value to it, for example. So, you know, in my experience, talking to young people about ethics is very funny because they don't have as much of the like, you know, culturally acquired um, preconceptions about what they're allowed to say or not say about ethics um, compared to the, you know, the, um, the 18 year olds who end up in my intro course or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I also, I also want to note when, when you have these moral panics, as I would, as I would argue, they are, it almost always, not necessarily always, but almost always involves this kind of think of the children fear of indoctrination thing where this concern is ratcheted up because people are told that this stuff is being foisted on innocent children who don't know any better. But I just don't think there's evidence for that. I will say there is evidence that like critical race theory is taught in education departments and influences education, but it is not producing the results that I think the majority of the people concerned in this with this situation are actually afraid of. It's not teaching people that like white people are evil or uh, that white people should necessarily feel guilty for their whiteness or something like that, right? It's really, you know, it is about recognizing the way that structures continue to cause harm, even when everyone involved in those structures is as well-meaning as they can possibly be. Okay. Okay. A few points to what you just said. Mm -hmm. Hopefully I'll be able to remember all all three of them. I think I have three. My my first of which, and I'll do them one at a time. And if I forget some, whatever, is, okay. So you said that a child might, has a higher probability of asking out against these ideas, you know, because they're questioning and they're, they're curious what might happen if a an elementary school student does ask out about these things. And I, I said this to Christian, if the student receives the paper on intersectionality and has to outline how this like black and gay and male uh, female student was like made fun of in school and how to identify these physical attributes, what happens when they have nothing to provide on that piece of paper because this person just has great friends and she hasn't like, do they say, oh, well, here, we'll teach you how to see these physical identities and attributes and how they are being used against you. What happens when a student, what might happen? Because we can only you know, theorize and predict here. I'm very curious about what might happen when a student in elementary school or high school for that matter asks out. Because they might, and they probably will. Like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so 
I, again, I think we need to like this. This is critical race theory is not the end all and be all of the pedagogy world here, right? This is one theory, and even it, it does not gonna not gonna tell us exactly what the right answer should be, nor is it going to necessarily say that the right approach should be you know, forcing every student to list X, Y, or Z, that might be, there might be something to, you know, asking students to introspect about their identities. Um, but I think, uh, what if, so, 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 so let, let, let me just, let me just, let me just answer about the pushback though. Yeah. Like, please. yeah, I think, I think it's very important to say that it's very easy to cow human beings into not pushing back, including children, right? That like, if you create a toxic, educational environment mm -hmm. then then you can you can very you know like uh, my, my point about children being more likely to cause pushback as i meant in like an ideal scenario right you can absolutely create a hostile environment where children don't feel comfortable speaking up and that is is just very bad whether it's about race or about anything really right um now i don't think that's at all what is encouraged with these kinds of models i think if anything these models are about encouraging conversation over topics that have previously been silenced and in that sense i feel like there should be common ground between the crt folks and and like the heterodox world in that you know a lot of what they want to talk about are like historical narratives that have been actively suppressed in our history classes um, and there's just tons of evidence that those narratives have been actively suppressed and that it would be valuable for students to learn about them like before they learn about them on an hbo show or something like that what are those topics that you think are being rejected by a non-CRT focused curriculum? Well, so for example, I was I was raised in Virginia, uh, which if you're not familiar, was fairly heavily involved in the Civil War. Sure. Uh, I was raised outside of Richmond, which is the largest Civil War memorial in the country. And I was raised on the Lost Cause narrative, which is a basically a, a what do you call it a um revisionist history right or pseudo history um that was developed basically right after the civil war as an attempt to sort of rewrite what the civil war was about and give the impression that the confederate states were something different than what they were doing and like rehabilitate the image of folks like robert e lee and this is widespread in most history books as far as i know still within in the country that like this is um you know sort of taken as just a common part of uh, the the account at this point and it's all like very well documented fiction like very deeply you know fictional history and so i just think it would be valuable if we corrected for things like like, like just very baseline right take out the stuff that is in our history books that was explicitly put there by people trying to cover over for slavery and white supremacy or you know why don't we have a conversation about the relationship between america and uh germany prior to world war ii right like we as americans are taught this narrative where world war ii was a war of good against evil right where the evil axis powers germany and japan were the the um you know the racist monsters and we stopped them from the holocaust and such right that was that was what i was taught in high school um but then like you know you find out that uh, Hitler took a lot of notes right from America that like Hitler was very impressed with 
the way America had dealt with segregation and things like that, that they sort of took um, versions of their their racial laws from American laws. These are the sorts of things that I think I would like to have people discussing more in their history classes. Sure. Okay. He also took a lot of ideas from Nietzsche as well, uh, more so the Superman, the, the Superman idea as well. Yeah. Which is absolutely worth talking about too, I think. What, what yeah. was oh yeah yeah absolutely well I think it's also a testament to the to the possibility that you can lay out these ideas in philosophy and Nietzsche sort of predicted that somebody would kind of take that idea to its logical conclusion and then that was sort of like this underpinning of the Nazi ideology. Okay, so you know what I'm hearing. We, we should we should note there's there's a big difference between Nietzsche, who I believe was fairly anti-fascist, and sure. like the American eugenics movement that was like very pro what the Germans were doing until everybody found out about the Holocaust and that like there was mm -hmm. an active effort in America to try to push us onto the German side of things mm -hmm. um, because and again like we we you know we we win World War II right and it doesn't end uh, you know, segregation in America, right? Like the, you know, black soldiers come back and are still second class citizens. So it's not like we stopped being a racist country just because we beat up this other racist country. Well, no, I mean, of course not. But it also ended, you know, a lot of other bad things. And I'm not trying to say well, that one bad thing. You could I'm argue not... that the civil rights movement that comes after it ended a lot of bad things, which I agree with. Sure. But like, but yeah, know, I mean, I also don't. You, mean... you had to have a bit of fighting there first. Perhaps I can't make. Perhaps I can't avoid the mistake of saying that like one evil is lesser than another evil, but but when I hear that, I can't help but probably make the mistake of thinking that well, you know, we didn't end horrible racist things in America by ending World War II. I also think well, we also ended a lot of other bad things, and that's just my uneducated take on it. As another point to you know, I'm just exchanging that point with you. <laughs> so. mm -hmm. Yeah. Look, I'm not saying America has done nothing good in its history. Sure. I think the problem is America is afraid to grab to, to deal with its own history. And so it promotes a narrative of American exceptionalism that is extremely ahistoric and like doesn't well prepare human beings for dealing with the world that we're still living in. That's an interesting point, because I am also I really believe in the power of learning about darkness, like also individual darkness. I really like reading about Jung and Jung talks about the shadow. And I think that it's very helpful to understand how you can kind of manifest your own uh, just horrible behaviors and habits and how like how much of a bad person you could be for yourself and other people. I, like my favorite Star Wars character, you might appreciate this is Mace Windu because he's he, he knows about the dark side. And so I've always thought that, you know, we should, you know, we should appreciate the dark side of our, our past and our culture and history. But you should love critical race theory and, and all these woke stuff. Like, <laughs> I mean, I some, some of my, some of, I'm well, some... to figure out why I don't. Because I, because yeah. of everything okay. I do. So, so tell me, tell me why you don't. Tell me what you're concerned about. Like, like, like setting aside theoretical stuff, just straight up. What are you, what are you worried about here? Because I don't believe that it can solve darkness. Do you believe that anything can solve darkness? Yes, I believe something can solve darkness. I mean, acknowledging it. Yes, I think acknowledging it and. E perhaps you know CRT and the woke ideology does that. It acknowledges darkness. But perhaps, I think in my view, it's it pin it tries to solve what it's trying to. I think it just acknowledges it. I don't think there's any like what is the logical conclusion of 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 CRT? Like how can it solve it? Also, well, for example, well, so so 
it may be the case that we, you know, improvement, right? Social progress is, is like an asymptote, right? You maybe never get to a utopia, but you can still make things better, right? And this this is where, you know, I do think we have, like, I like to talk about the paradox of progress. I think we've made progress. Like clearly we've made progress as a society. And yet simultaneously, there are many ways in which we have very much not made progress. So how do you wrestle with those two realities, I think is, is complicated. Um, but I think critical race theory, like a lot of other theories, provides some tools that help us roll back the darkness in some places. Um, it may not be a solution for all problem in all places, and I don't think it's ever been intended as such. Um, and so, yeah, I think better, better this than nothing, even if it doesn't completely perfectly solve the problem. Well, I like that you're bringing this up because there, there's a billion YouTube videos and articles that think that the right is afraid of America's racist past. You see, I learned about slave, you know, I don't remember much of my experience in elementary school. I mean, I learned about slavery and I thought, okay, you know, this is a horrible thing that happened, but I, I never, I don't know why I never got the sense that there was more to the story than meets the eye. I just thought, well, this, this seems good enough. At least I'm learning about slavery, but I, I don't think that and this might just be a new point, not really piggybacking off what off what you just said, um, that people on the right or, or conservatives, uh, moderate conservatives, I'm not talking about far right extremists, are afraid of the racist past. This is a very difficult thing, you know, to to say about CRTs because you know, like I just said, I appreciate studies of of darkness and evil, and the woke worldview and CRT is trying to shine more light on that, but I think it's it's sort of mixing up. Um, it's sort of trying to posit that too many things, and that seems vague and we can get specific about it, too many things might be tied up with, with a race conscious worldview. I don't think that is all that useful. So you're saying you feel like it overemphasizes the role of race in the world or something like that? I believe it overemphasizes see the role of race there is there there is there are of course people and I'm going to use the word people a lot because one thing you and I disagree with is the promiscuous role of just systems of power that have control over people or too many systems of power that have control over people. I think that that individuals and, and people, you know, can be malevolent and can be racist and can try to oppress people. But I don't think that it's like that having a race conscious worldview is going to solve racism. That That's what I believe in. Okay. So I, I think, I think the ultimate goal here is one that everyone shares, which is a society in which people can choose to identify racially as they want and have that mean what they want, much like they do with gender and sexuality and things like that, and not have it be a point of tension or conflict for everyone involved. Sure. And the debate is just over whether we can get there by sort of believing either that we're already there or believing that like not talking about any of this stuff at all or very little is the best way to get there or thinking that talking about it a little bit more and like centering it a little bit more is the right way to get there and i think i'm i'm in the third camp um and it sounds like you know you're in the first or second camp um and i just sure. i think it's always been the history of social progress that like 
folks don't want to talk about it. Um, you know, folks didn't want to talk about gay people for the longest time, right? And now it's fine. So like, it feels it, it feels plausible to me, right? That if you keep you know pushing on this stuff, change does get made, and people start to accept things that they didn't previously accept because that was how they thought things had to be, and they'd never been given an alternative. I just don't think that most people care like about oh you're gay you're white you're black like okay like like I can see it, but what like how does it what does it matter like your physical identity. I think people care quite a lot about it. And I think partly the issue is that one of the parties, one of the political parties in our country has weaponized identity as a, as a tool since, since the civil rights era that you have, you know, the Southern strategy, which involves deliberately targeting white voters with fear of, you know, black people and then fear of, um, communists and fear of gay people, all of these kinds of triggering of fear within that community is a means to motivate, get out the vote efforts. There's lots of examples of that. Um, and so, you know, we have to talk about it because it's being used as a cudgel against um, people trying to make social progress by those who are actively trying to resist social progress. When you say the party, do you mean the right? The GOP, yeah. The GOP. Okay. But well, maybe I do agree with you because here we are talking about race in elementary schools and so on and so forth and companies. And there's companies that like have these policies in which you, you, the way you hire somebody, if they, they try to explain to you that hirees have a higher chance of hiring somebody who has like a white sounding name, like Dave or like, my name is Paul. Okay. <laughs> like I have the most mm -hmm. white sounding name in the world. Uh, okay. You're saying I'm not you. I'm I'm talking about this this policy. It's like okay, great. Well, now we're talking about like white names and the you know a name that sounds white, David or Paul or. Are you talking about you know about the studies that find that um, resumes with white names on them are picked at a higher rate than resumes with non-white names on them? Something like that, yeah. Because that's that's not a policy. It's not like the company decides to do this thing. It's an example of. Um, a kind of bias that may not be a conscious bias even, but that results in um, certain individuals being more likely to get callbacks, for example, right? It's not actively something that someone is necessarily doing. It's just, if you look at the aggregate, you find it, you find it even when the resumes are identical, right? Is the way the studies are run is that it's the exact same resume with a different name on it and it gets a different reaction. And, and that's not 100% guarantee expl you know, proof that like there's a race problem, but I think it raises a significant concern that like something's going on there that needs to be addressed. Now, for in fairness, right? I will argue that there are, um, there are mixed results on those studies, I think. I think some of them have replicated to some extent. I think there has been some debate about those so it's an empirical question whether or not that's actually true but if you know just taken hypothetically it can be understandable why that would be viewed as an example of some kind of systemic bias or some kind of systemic racism okay i, I, I would raise another point about that but I, don't, I think that's a little my my counter argument to that is might be a little less important than the main topic of of crt so um okay Moral panic. Let's focus in on that right now. Okay. I don't think it's, even if it is a moral panic, and I don't think it's good to panic, and I told Christian the same thing here. I, I'm, I'm interested in hearing your take on this, on my argument here. Even if it is a moral panic, 
I think it's a justified one because of why I think CRT is so ridiculous. I think it could be a justified panic and I'm not saying it's good to panic, panicking, you never want to panic. Um, I find it hard to believe. I'm sure you've seen all the videos of, you know, parents speaking out against CRT or, or some of them, you know, everybody's seen them. If, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you've seen them. Would, mm -hmm. would, I'm trying to imagine you, and I don't mean this in any disrespect. I'm just trying to imagine, like, would you look somebody in the eye, one of these concerned parents, and say, you're having a moral panic about communism? Yes. I mean, I would, I would try to, like, soften the blow as much as possible for persuasion reasons. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to tell them. I'm not going to tell somebody who's caught up in a moral panic that their that their concerns are 100% legitimate because then you're just feeding the moral panic inside of them in that kind of way. Um, now, um, one thing I want to note about these these videos that have that have been popping up. Do you want to discuss the moral panic angle? I don't know if you caught this, but Media Matters has been doing research on these individuals that are being put forward by folks like Fox News as like just concerned parents. And it turns out that like at least a dozen of them are Republican strategists, people from conservative think tanks, right wing media personalities. And those people are free to have their opinions. Sure. Right. But I think, you know, for the purposes of these kinds of stories, I think it would be fair to say one should express conflicts of interest, like I work at an anti-CRT think tank when being presented as someone on television rather than just a concerned parent, right? Those are very different in how they come across to people, right? So I think there is, I think there's an astroturfing process that is going on here. Mm -hmm. um, now, there are some cases where people are bad teachers, where, where people pedagogically, I think, make poor choices. Um, and I think those should be addressed. But if I were talking to a parent, I would say, look, they are few and far between and they get addressed. And there is not a widespread conspiracy to turn a blind eye towards harmful information just to indoctrinate your children. Like none of that is happening. And like there's just no evidence for it and if you stick around a little bit longer it's likely that you will see this moral panic disappear and be replaced by whatever comes next have you seen the video of that black guy speaking out against crt right uh, who is a who, who is a youtube uh conservative youtube promoter by the way okay he said yes. he has two medical degrees and he, sure. he was he was upset with his take on CRT being like, well, you know, like, oh, you're you're oppressed. You know, the white people say, blah, 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 you can't do this. That's sort of lending into my argument about like excellence and personal strife. Like, OK, you know, sure, there's racist and white supremacists, but like, you know, why not more stories of people who overcame that stuff, you know, instead of trying to sweep it under the rug? And I'm not saying that CRT is trying to, you know, sweep these things under the rug because it's talking about it. But. I just I've always liked stories of inspiration like that. It strikes me as a non sequitur argument to say this person has succeeded. Therefore, there is no oppression of a group in which they are a member. Oh, I'm not saying that there's no oppression just because one. Person oh, I know. I know. I know. But I think that's the way his argument comes across is essentially saying sure. I have these two medical degrees. Sure. I can't be oppressed. Therefore, CRT is false. He might that's have. A, that, as an argument though, that doesn't follow, right? Like it could be the case that he has gotten extremely lucky, right? Or has worked very hard, which is to, you know, like we, we, we can separate out my views about luck and free will, which is a whole separate topic. Um, but like, 
you know, to, you know, people can get ahead within a group that is heavily marginalized. What you want to look at is are the, you know, like majority of the people in that group continually experiencing various harms that undermine their outcomes in various ways, right? That's what these systemic analyses are looking at. Um, so, yeah, everybody loves, a, a, you know, a hero story. Everybody loves the person who like rags to riches their way out. But even if you set aside the race problem, there's a big problem with those sorts of stories on a class level where it's just like, yes, this person escaped a really bad inner city environment and managed to be successful. But that's like a survivor bias where the majority of individuals end up just having worse outcomes because they were in that situation, right? It just materially harms their well-being. Um, and if you only focus on, you know, the success stories, right, you obscure that reality. But I don't believe that the only reason that disenfranchised or marginalized people from these these communities, these these lower class, let's say, communities, all that can be posited towards the boogeyman of CRT being white supremacy. And sure, maybe this gentleman faced a lot of racism in his life. I don't know. I don't know him personally. You know, I can all admit that. Like, I don't know this guy's story. I just saw the video. You know, who, who knows what shit he dealt with? But I don't think that can all be attributed to just this one thing, this reductive approach of, oh, it's just white supremacy. You know, the white man. This, I think this is a misconception. CRT does not say literally all bad outcomes are the result of white supremacy. That's not what the argument is, right? It says that white supremacy has a pervasive influence right and you could say white supremacy has an impact on outcomes for everyone to some extent right but there are a variety i think of outcomes so this is like the whole point of intersectionality for example right the intersectionality view is there are a variety of parts of your identity by which people can potentially marginalize you essentially, right? So if you're gay, you can face certain kinds of marginalization that are different if you're black and that are different if you're gay and black, and that's the intersecting part. So that being central to critical race theory, you know, pretty clearly I think debunks the idea that um, critical race theory literally reduces everything to race. Its central view is race intersects with these other kinds of identities in ways that produce a very complicated system. Okay. But does it though? Like, <laughs> but does what? <laughs> if you face an obstacle in your path, like, what are the chances of that obstacle being attributed to, you know, somebody who just doesn't like you because you're gay? I don't know. Maybe you just suck at your job. You, you know, I got to work harder. <laughs> like, well, what are the chances of this stuff being attributed to somebody just being a bigot? I don't know. I mean, I like to think that most people are pretty fair. I mean, I know that's not true, but I'm just, I find it really hard to wrap my head around that. Help me out. Yeah, I guess this is, well, I guess this is where you're trying to sort of imagine how Jordan Peterson would answer this question, right? Sort of a pull yourself up by your bootstraps, clean your room. But I don't think racism won't be that big a deal. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think that the pulling yourself up by the bootstraps idea is also the same as saying that oppression does not exist. Because you can pull yourself up by the bootstraps against oppression. And look, like I've had a pretty easy life. I've, you know, I grew up in Southern California, you know, difficulties were rare for me. I mean, I suck shit at school. Um, I mean, I don't know. My grandpa was poor as fuck too. So it's like, where's the, 
whiteness there. Like, how can we say that everybody's experience is like the same? You know, like just because you have no, to... nobody says that's the whole point. Nobody says that like intersectionality is about how everybody's experiences are different in a variety of ways, yeah. right? It's quite the opposite of everybody's experiences are the same. Let, let me read you a quote. I'm curious what your thoughts are on this particular quote, since we're talking about this kind of bootstraps idea, right? Sure. Um, so the quote goes, uh, you do not take a person who for years has been hobbled by chains and liberate him, bring him up to a starting line of a race and then say, you are free to compete with all the others and still justly believe that you have been completely fair. We seek not just legal equity, but human ability, not just equality as a right and a theory, but equality as a fact and equality as a result. What do you think about that quote? It was a long quote. That's what I think of that quote. <laughs> was there a specific part of that quote that you wanted to hear my thoughts on? Equality is a... I just am curious if it, you know, would you agree, first of all, that there's something fundamentally unjust about taking a person who has never been allowed to run in their lives, unhooking the chains, putting them at the starting of a race and say, okay, everybody's equal. You're all at the same starting line. You're Go. All, you're, you're all at this. Well, how, well, I mean, it's going to be unfair if the person you're racing against, this is like their 14th race and this is your first race. Good luck. Well, race 13 more times and it'll be better. That's what I think. So okay. no, it's not unfair, but competition is just unfair and it should be unfair. And we're, we're getting kind of vague, um, maybe theoretical, but which, which I don't mind, by the way, but that's what I think of that. So, the, I mean, the reason I present this is because this is a quote from Lyndon Johnson who signed the Civil Rights Act. Okay. And it's his argument in favor of what we think of as affirmative action, what we technically would call preferential affirmative action. The idea that you need to counteract past injustices in order to create a fair environment in which people can compete. And in the absence of that, you're simply gonna reproduce your unjust system in a different legal framework, right? You're just gonna move from slavery to sharecroppers or from sharecroppers to Jim Crow or from Jim Crow to, you know, the kind of neoliberal model, uh, the prison pipeline, all these kinds of things, right? And so um, this, this is my way of saying, I think it's fairly naive to say, why don't you just work harder? Why don't you just compete harder? The reality is people just get crushed under these kinds of systems. Many people work very, very hard, and most of them do not get the kind of breakthrough success that our culture kind of suggests will happen if you work hard enough. That's just not the reality of income and wealth mobility and these sorts of things in our society. Um, so I think it's better to say, well, how can we fix the systems so that everybody has a more just outcome? Like, why don't we stop just demanding that people fix it through sheer gumption and create a system that isn't hobbling them continuously um, for, the, for their entire lives? Okay. I hear you. I hear what you're saying. Does what? Well, okay, well, let's say, you know, that the person in that video, you could say that he ascended the class hierarchy. What what, what would CRT say about somebody who's ascended the class hierarchy? Because my view on it is that like everything that CRT tries to lay its hands on, hard work, blah blah blah, is like this American Eurocentric view of of life, and that it's all white, and like hard work and objectivity is then attributed attributed to whiteness. 
Like, is there room in CRT for a disenfranchised person to climb the, has the class hierarchy? And what does the CRT outlook say about somebody who's done that? Are they are they like a white yeah. supremacist by that point or what? No. So it's complicated, of course. Uh, but the answer I would give would be they they actually a lot of CRT is about creating tools for members of these marginalized communities to do exactly that. So one of my favorite papers that CRT inspired is about um, non-dominant cultural capital where communities develop various kinds of, you know, one that you would probably like would be the family kind of family capital that marginalized communities develop where they rely on large extended families more as a, a sort of social safety net because they lack um, the kind of uh, inherited family wealth that makes it easier to be a more isolated nuclear family. Um, so that's just just one example. Um, now, you know, there is a very real problem. And this is not just a problem for people in race. This is a class problem too. folks like Gramsci talk about how how do you acquire the tools needed to change the system without being co-opted by the system? It's just a very lifelong process kind of challenge. And CRT will give you tools to try to help you wrestle with it. But like, you know, I just recently did a review of a movie, um, Sorry to Bother You, which is a really, really great movie about race. Um, and it deals with these issues around kind of co-opting of um, successful individuals within these communities as a piece of the narrative that allows for the reproduction of the overall marginalization of the group. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's tricky, but not impossible. Sure. And certainly, and certainly that these groups are not going to deny that such individuals exist. Okay. Well, I like, okay. So I hope I haven't, I don't think that you are a, a, against hard work and you've raised your arguments against like, you know, the cleaner room, Jordan Peterson bootstraps thing, though. I don't, uh, I want to give you a fair chance and say that you're not against hard work. And, and because I'm saying that is because what I'm hearing from you, which is also tying into our earlier discussion on the left at its best, which is, I might be wrong in saying this, helping people to get to a point to where they, they actually can cooperate and compete in the working world of America and actually have a fair chance at working hard. Does that tie into that earlier worldview of, of the left? Like you want to see people have a, have a chance to actually climb and, su and succeed. Is that too simple? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, there's two things here, right? So one of them is pushing back on traditional stereotypes like you know, white people are hardworking and black people are lazy, which is, you know, a historic stereotype that um, I think to some extent persists in people's minds more than they might be willing, to, might, might want to admit. Um, and so it's simply highlighting that, like, we shouldn't associate, in my opinion, we shouldn't be associating hard work with um, whiteness. But then there's also the kind of criticisms of the meritocratic narrative I, really right? I think the hardest working yeah. motherfuckers in the world are rappers <laughs> like just well, well, yeah yes yeah, so this is my second point which is that like <laughs> the meritocratic narrative that hard work even likely or tends to produce better outcomes sure. is a large part of what's being criticized here and it's not because i mean some people will say meritocracies are themselves bad and i think there is interesting arguments to be made there. They are not generally made by the critical race theory folks in particular. They more want to push back on the way that 
our cultural narratives around meritocracies give the impression that our society is fair and that people who have merit are really actually rising to the top when there's very little evidence that like there's a strong correlation between merit and success as opposed to other kinds of factors other kinds of luck and things how fair can we get without crossing the line and making it like way too easy like where do we draw the line with with fairness oh i think we should make it as easy as possible but well, i think i think the, the greater concern is how do we get how do we make it as fair as possible without making it authoritarian as as possible to do to do what exactly well i mean i'm for you know like the ai utopia where we manage to bootstrap up super intelligence and sure. Sure. let it manage the vast majority of things and the rest of us you know, like jobs, off and do art etc right exactly right and the rest of us can just you know play video games and do art and whatever I, I think that's ultimately the way like we should be trying to go but like we have a miles to go before we're anywhere close to like making things you know harmfully easy for people like think about the comparison just think about a basic comparison between jeff bezos and any person who works full-time in an amazon fulfillment you know, factory, right? You might think that Jeff Bezos works very, very hard. Do you honestly think that he works so much harder than the people in those factories that he deserves that orders of magnitude more money that he has? Well, there's also a lot going into Jeff Bezos, like how rare it is to be born with like that specific mixture of 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 personality traits and like i don't think it's even that fun to be but do we do we even want to like throw that much money at people who have like that specific balance of personality traits i don't think we can help it everybody buys shit off amazon well we could help it by doing a variety of things right we could tax him more we could set up you know sovereign wealth funds there are a variety of methods by which we can yeah don't you know pay taxes well no but i mean like this is just basic social justice stuff to me is like how can we imagine that we're any close to a fair society when there are such vast wealth inequalities that have nothing to do with how hard people are working on a day-to-day basis? Sure. I don't think we're in a fair but, society. Right. I so I think it's not fair. I don't think it's, I don't think it's fair. I think it's, I think it's great. I want to include in my statement that I don't think it's fair. All of the inequalities and oppressions that exist, I think it's unfair enough. Can it be improved? Of course. And should be improved. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like I'm for, you know, progress. I think I haven't said this yet. Like technology is a great way to start with progress. I mean, you mentioned AI and like the AI utopia, like, you know, have AI do its thing and like get everybody to understand how computers work. And like, I, I would love to see in more schools, like classes on programming and how AI works and like media literacy with, you know, online articles and like how to actually navigate a world in which technology runs rampant. I'm, I'm yeah. totally for that. So like, it's interesting that our views on progress have divergencies and even some agreements who would have thought, but, but many disagreements. So, which is why these conversations are so interesting. Cause like you have an idea on progress and I have an idea on progress. I'm trying to find out like, well, well, I'm trying to find out something. I don't quite know what it is, but this is interesting. Yeah, I, so I'll just add in here that in the AI world, right, there's a lot of good work that is done on race and AI, some of it influenced by critical race theory kind of stuff about, you know, concerns about how 
uh, algorithms reproduce inequality with a veneer of objectivity because they sure. give the impression that you've taken the human element out of the system when you really haven't, right? That sure. stuff I think is quite another like straightforward benefit of the kind of social analysis that I think these these fields are doing. The reason I think we diverge, if, I, if I'll be totally honest here, sure. is I think you're getting some bad advice. I think you're getting some information from some unreliable sources, folks like Jordan Peterson, folks like, I, I'm, not, I, I'm not certain who you're getting information for, but I would guess no, probably right. folks like James Lindsay. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I think these folks are conspiracy theorists and I think they are sucking you into something that I, I genuinely worry is something like a cult and that it can pull you away from, you know, we're just all in a cult. seeing the world as Everybody's it is. Everybody's in a cult. Everybody, well, you, people sure. will say woke is in a cult. We're all in a cult. Well, I mean, look, like, look, look, I started an ironic cult to get out in front of the fact that I would eventually be accused of being a cult leader. Pick your cult so, like, wisely. <laughs> but like that being said, right, I watched your video about masturbation and Jordan Peterson. Oh, yeah. And it's weird that we're talking I was, about right now. No, but I, I, I mean, I was just a little, life. I was a little concerned. I, it, it reads to me as the kind of stuff that, you see folks talk about when they are sliding into a cult that makes me nervous where like okay well let me ask you an honest question and oh, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to but like sure. have you stopped masturbating entirely or have you just no. stopped masturbating every day every okay, day it's good. the worst period of my life ever it sucked so so yeah this, this is my point i there's a, there's a very common feature of indoctrination that it tends to target individuals when they're at the worst time in their life oh yeah no i agree right yeah, yeah. And so I'm very worried that Jordan Peterson being this kind of guru figure that like you're getting stuff from him that may be valuable, but you're also might be getting sucked into parts of his worldview that are not valuable. Oh, I and totally so I just, yeah. no, no, I totally agree. And I, I said that I said in the video that it just happened to be Jordan Peterson who gave who who supplied me with the questions like what are the consequences of you acting out your worst habits for five years? It could have been anybody. And like like I said in the video too, he wasn't my first exposure to like self-help and pulling yourself up from the bootstraps. Um, I, I do have the same thoughts on anybody who's taking advice from just about anybody, you know, separate the wheat from the chaff. I try my best not to completely agree with everything everybody says. And in that video, too, I said that Jordan Peterson's self-help philosophy was the first one that jibed really with me for long-term results. I had been down like the Tony Robbins rabbit hole before and other self-help um, icons as well. But for some particular reason, um, it, it, there's... When you talk about gurus, there is always going to be some degree of the cult of personality in there, depending on how persuasive they are with their ideas. And I do believe Jordan Peterson is a very um, uh, articulate and persuasive and very well-spoken person because it's very hard to do that uh, in a public form. It's public speaking is very difficult, but your, your BS radar always has to be on when you listen to people speak like that. Now, a lot of what he says does jibe with my worldview, which I didn't kind of even know that I had back then, like, you know, there must have been some element within me to favor bootstrapping myself up. Otherwise, it would have just turned him off and said, you know what, that's that's not for me, like whatever. So I, I do hear you and like I agree with what you're saying because I do advise people to like kind of be wary with, with who you look up to. But that's interesting that you would bring that up and that I like sort of agree and at the same time, I'm defending myself against that. But I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I mean, look, we should all, you know, don't no, no take my word for anything, right? 
Um, Me neither. But you do, <laughs> but you do have to rely on experts at some point. Like I don't like the phrase "don't trust anybody" and just only think for yourself. I don't think that's plausible epistemically. Like I think we have to rely on experts and we have to do the best we can to assess which experts are more or less reliable. And it's hard because you can get invested in an expert and then you find out that they're really unreliable in a variety of ways. And it can be hard to figure out how do I separate the things that I found valuable in their material from all of that other stuff. It may be very challenging. And I, you know, like people find value in Peterson's work. I particularly think that it's not valuable, but you know, if people are finding genuine good stuff in it for themselves, I, like other religious material, I'm not going to say they shouldn't be allowed to have that. Yeah, um, but I do, person, I, right? <laughs> right, but I do worry. <laughs> I, I worry about relying on that sort of stuff because I think it can be hard to not slip into the worst parts of his worldview that have to do with, um, just, I don't even know how to, just, just bit, to me, it feels like fairly classic religious conservatism we, we, masquerading we, as psychoanalysis. We can get into the Jordan Peterson thing because I'm enjoying this back and forth we've been having about every conversation we've had thus far. What I what I want to mention to you is um, mm -hmm. before I forget, I, I tend to lose track of the thoughts I have in conversations. Um, you know what? Let, let's stick with the Jordan Peterson thing and I'll remember my point. Okay. Okay, so you say classic conservative worldview, et cetera, et cetera. Now, this is also a very common, common um, critique of him, and I'm sure you're not the only person. I, I mean, I, I, I'm sure I have a lot of friends with, who would who never would tell me exactly what you said because they're just I don't know for whatever reasons like oh Paul's falling into some Jordan Peterson cult. Oh no, look at you, you idiot. <laughs> so it's, well, I would never call him an idiot. I know, this I know, very important. You're you right. Know, I don't. I, you wouldn't. You wouldn't. You wouldn't. I know, but it's it's, you know, it's important because you're not an idiot because all human beings are at high susceptibility for this. It's not it's not it doesn't make anybody different to say you're at risk of this. We're all prone to being at risk, um, and especially when you're in a bad you know place, right. you're, you're at a very high risk, and that doesn't it makes you you know it makes you someone that we should be compassionate towards, not someone that we should make fun of. In oh, my sure. opinion, but I right? also you are being taken advantage of, and that's bad. One of my maybe unfounded arguments against CRT, which is sort of what you're related to here with Jordan Peterson, is that it's trying to be like the savior of, of certain people. Like, hey, hey, listen to us. We're, we're, we're going to help you out of your, your bad spot. We are the gurus. CRT theorists are the gurus who know everything. And the, well, that's why I'm raising my critique about it, because I would expect people to mm -hmm. raise a critique about mm -hmm. Jordan Peterson as well. And I'm not saying that like you you think it's bad for me to critique these things, but that is also one of the ideas that's floating in my head as I raise questions against CRT. Yeah. Yeah, and there are CRT gurus, right? I mean, like, we should be clear here. I, I, I think technically, right, it is wrong to lump D'Angelo and, Ibram. you know, Kendi yeah. into critical race theory. But, like, broadly speaking, they are, let's focus on D'Angelo, right? D'Angelo is doing some version of what is called critical whiteness studies, right? Which yeah, I know yeah. is a kind of phrase that will piss off a lot of people, but it's like, <laughs> right. And, and like, effectively speaking, critical whiteness studies is very closely tied to critical race theory and like is drawing on it in various kinds of ways. And so I don't think it's like a total mistake to say she's influenced by critical race theory. Now, what I think she's doing very wrong, generally speaking, is locating solutions in individual psychodrama, essentially, right? In the individual um, confronting their whiteness and having these yeah. sort of personal emotional struggles and stuff like that, right? I think that's a mistake 
And that's and, and that to me is not where critical race theory would take you either, generally speaking, right? I think if, if, if you're being consistent, right, the systemic analysis should lead to systemic solutions. Okay, right? so it should you not... take an individualistic approach and CRT, if I have this correctly, is more of a systematic mm -hmm. approach. Right, it's things like changing the laws so that individuals can sue for intersectional oppression or, you know, trying to build, bring about a system where our interests converge more effectively and therefore social progress could actually happen, those sorts of things, right? It should be less about, which, is, you know, it's not to say that like, the minds of white people don't matter or that like there's some really interesting stuff in whiteness studies um talk, talk about whiteness as property is very interesting for example whiteness. the idea yeah so the idea that whiteness is a kind of currency that you can spend essentially similar to like social capital so like you know um do you ever see do you see lovecraft country by any chance on hbo no i haven't Oh, they did a really good example of this here. They did a kind of Jekyll and Hyde episode where a black woman can transform into a white woman essentially with a potion mm -hmm. and she experiences life as a white person. It's all about the color line and such. And what she experiences is that like, she can basically go through her day not spending money because she has this currency of whiteness. She's treated differently because she is this white woman instead of a black woman. Um, and so, um, seeing whiteness as this kind of currency, seeing it as a kind of, um, you know, what, what some folks call a, a empty signifier, which is like, it's just an empty box that you put whatever you want to in it when those are the things that you want to value and preserve essentially. So you say that whiteness is, you know, Christian or Christianity or something like that. And so, um, you know, people of color are, are heretics and need to be converted or something like that. So, so, you know, I do think there is value in assessing the way that we think about those things. Um, but I, I don't think there's as much value in like, you know, ginning up a bunch of white guilt about like whether you have like, uh, you know, suppressed racial animus or something like that. I don't think that's I'm particularly glad we agree useful. On all this, that, yeah, yeah. I, I'm a I'm allergic to that, like, because I think everybody should, man, like, oh, you know, you've got this like whiteness to you and there's we'll operationalize that by attributing. I saw this horrible infographic the other day on on a on a pretty well-known Substack uh, blog. The Smithsonian infographic one? Yes, that one. I thought that was mm -hmm. uh, a comedian could have made up that. Like, I could have made that. <laughs> no, I mean, I didn't, but like, because I'm not that ludicrous. But yeah, it was like objective thinking uses the scientific method. That's all whiteness. Like, holy crap, this came out of 4chan. Well, yeah, no, I mean, so where that comes out of, to be generous to the person doing that thing, is it comes out of uh, post-colonialist and decolonial kinds of theory that are the precursors that let lead into critical race theory or connected to it, that talk about the ways in which um, science and this idea of rationality and objectivity have been associated with whiteness historically. So like, for example, there's a long history of women and people of color being excluded from philosophy departments because they're viewed as sure. not rational enough to do philosophy properly, right? Sure. So that's a, that, that I think is a very legitimate concern that there is this history of classifying objectivity as white. And similarly, there's a history of using 
the demand for a certain level of objectivity and analysis to shut down opposing points of view, to essentially shut down, especially kinds of sociologically based analysis that is inherently qualitative in nature, but still is heavily informative for understanding our world. Um, so, but again, I, I you know, it, to put that into terms of you know, this is white culture and that's bad is not the right way, I think, to frame that. And the Smithsonian thing is not, is it, you know, to me, an example of somebody who's trying to say the right things, but is getting them across in a very terrible way, um, as opposed to somebody who's like, I think people read them as saying something much worse than they're actually saying, whereas I read them as saying, saying something that is not necessarily terrible, but saying it in a way that is highly likely to produce misunderstanding. And so it was like very unproductive in that sense. Okay. I want to go into, and I'm sort of forsaking many, many points for the sake of time. There was this no great YouTube video that I would have sent you if it didn't pop up in my algorithm an hour ago called, mm -hmm. uh, basically it was a very objective, honest and fair factual look at the original documents pertaining to CRT and then even um, critical rate critical theories it's itself um, by a YouTuber, the name of which escapes me. But in one of the papers on the origins of CRT, and I'll raise this to you and see what you think of it. Um, it said, I think this might have been by John O. Calmore, or a name that's associated with them. It says CRT theorists believe that objectivity, neutrality, and balanced discussion is, and these are my words now, a white man's game. Do you think that's because objectivity and neutrality and balanced discussion can be used to shut down thinkers who might try to be whitewashing the past? Am I correct or am I flawed in thinking that? Yeah. So, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd want to look at the quote in context. To I can be sure, but you afterwards and you can look at the. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, generally speaking, you find versions of this in a lot of places. And what, what is usually meant is something like what I was describing there, where appeals to objectivity are used to ignore highly reliable and informative narratives, for example. So, you know, like if I have stories of, um, you know, redlining. Um, and they say, you know, you, we can't believe that redlining occurred until, you know, you can prove through quantitative analysis that redlining occurred, right? That would be just, just that sort of, that doesn't actually happen but, because... Well, what's redlining? Right. I don't know what that is. Oh, sorry. Redlining okay. was this, yeah, redlining was this thing that happens um, based, I think it, it goes back pretty far, but it, it happens at least up until the 70s is when I think it's outlawed, late 60s or 70s. Mm -hmm. And it was essentially a system of continued segregation where um, communities of color were sort of coded as um, bad, you know, like unreliable bets for loans and things like that. And so it became harder to get loans in those communities. So there was mm -hmm. more, you know, in a, like it increased the inequality. It essentially helps create sort of these these heavily ghettoized um, areas. Um, and like, if you look at like maps of redlining, you can see here's the area of people of color who were cordoned off in this kind of way through these legal methods. Okay. And like, here are the differences in property value from one side of the line to the other. And here are uh -huh. the impacts on generational wealth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, you know, so, so, so the point there was just that like, sometimes the complaint is these valuable 
things, things that do seem valuable in principle, like objectivity and neutrality, things that I, I do think are valuable, are weaponized against marginalized groups in various ways. So another example would be white um, uh, colorblind laws, right? There's a big there's a big push right now that CRT is against colorblindness, right? We're all in favor of getting to a society that is quote unquote colorblind. The the problem that CRT raises is colorblind laws can still have disparate racial outcomes sometimes because they're intended to do so sometimes because they're not right but in either case um you know merely saying well this thing is neutral right is not an excuse right it's not an, you know a, a solution another problem that you often see about the neutrality thing is the kind of false um equivalency that you see in the media a lot where it's like this side believes x and this side believes y so the answers must be somewhere in the middle right where sometimes the answer is not in the middle one side is just wrong and so neutrality right can be a protector for the wrong side by giving the impression that it's just a difference of you know a difference of opinion or something like that Okay, why I was sort of allergic to that statement, first of all, was that it seemed like CRT was trying to create rules that you cannot throw back at itself. Like you cannot use objectivity, et cetera, et cetera, to attack CRT, but you can use it to attack disenfranchised people. But if you use it against us, if you fight fire with fire, sorry, it just doesn't apply. And you're so-and-so, you're, you're, you're like, you know, you're racist, et cetera. That was my take. Yeah, and there are some people, there were some situations in which people will say something like, um, demanding objectivity of this sort is not productive or not, you know, is getting in the way of our understanding, right? And that gets into like a lot of complicated epistemology stuff. Sure. Um, but I, I think broadly speaking, the simple, the simple reality is you can use objectivity to undermine a lot of claims that we think of as CRT claims. So, right, one of the big empirical claims in critical race theory or things that we think of are related to critical race theory would be systemic racism. There exists systemic racism in, in the prison system, in criminal justice, in et cetera, you know, et cetera, et cetera right? Um, those are empirical claims and you can try to argue against them with empirical data. And, and like, CRT folks and and people who are they, they you know who they influence argue for those claims based on empirical data. So it's not like the woke are never using data. I've got a if you want I can give you a link to you know hundreds of studies in just the the prison system that have like just the criminal justice system that have to do with trying to show that there is systemic racism in these kinds of ways through rigorous empirical methods. Right. Um, so objectivity think of these more like correctives, right? It's like saying we emphasized objectivity way too much and in the wrong kinds of ways for a period of time. We need to pull back from that overemphasis. That doesn't mean we get rid of objectivity. It means that we recognize that there are other tools in our toolkit besides what people think of as rigorously objective science or something like that. Okay. You seem like a good person to ask this question because this has been on my mind for a while. Is anti-racist curriculum related to critical race theory, or can they be segregated into do to that? That's probably a horrible word to use in this context. Can they be separated into different categories? Well, yes. Yeah, so it depends what we mean by anti-racism. If we mean like the narrow um, Ken Kendi kind of the, the curriculums in math, like decolonizing math syllabus, which I've seen in my community college. Yes, I mean that stuff is related. So, like, I don't, I don't really care ultimately if something is like strict critical race theory, right? I'm willing. That's why I'm willing to use wokeness studies or something like that because, like, 
you know, post uh, colonialism shades into critical race theory, which shades into um, decolonialism, which shades into, you know, like all this stuff is connected. And I think it's important to be, you know, honest about the fact that like in the curriculums that I learn in education departments, you go from critical race theory into anti-racism the next week or something. And there's overlap in the theorists or things like that, right? So they are connected. Now, there's disagreement within these groups, though, about what the right methods are. So Kendi, for example, as I understand him, is a fairly thoroughgoing consequentialist and is mostly concerned with setting aside questions of intent and focusing on the consequences of specific rules or or such like that for people's outcomes, um, that's not going to be all critical race theorists. But there probably is a, a, a consistent pushback amongst these views against an overemphasis on intentionality and saying that, like, for something to be harmfully racist, right, it has to involve intentions um, that that you're going to probably find consistently throughout. And like, you know, critical race theory and anti-racism are influencing curriculums. I don't think it's false to say they are. I just don't think they're doing it in a way that is producing the widespread goal or effect of indoctrinating a bunch of white people to hate themselves. Now, it's going to get harder because you have this moral panic going on that is going to tell a bunch of people that that's what they are being told, which makes it that much harder to teach them they're not that's not what they're being told. I I say from experience as a teacher who's dealt with conservative students who come into my classes genuinely worried that I'm going to indoctrinate them in ways that I have no intention of doing and that just makes for a worse experience for everyone educationally. So like my big goal here is just to de-escalate the rhetoric. Like things are not as bad as you're being told they are. And that's good. We should all be happy about that. Like we shouldn't like wonder that, um, you know, we should, they're, they're fucking, um, sorry, excuse me. No, dude, you some, said so many bad words on my own. It's okay. <laughs> some, somebody, you know, is arguing right now, folks are arguing that like we should be putting cameras in classrooms to catch teachers indoctrinating students and i'm just like that is such an absurd not not just waste of resources but overreaction to the reality of the situation like we, we need to get this moral panic under control and i think i think it will burn itself out um but in the meantime you know there's going to be a lot of like censoring of speech a lot of teachers are going to be told for for you know for well-being purposes stay away from talking about this stuff because well, yeah, people well, will freak out i gotta okay okay yeah, see, I, I can say that I'm a proponent of free speech, and I'm sure you are to some degree as well. I mean, I don't want to make assumptions about you, but I'm also a proponent of balanced speech. That's also my point about talking about the past and the atrocities of the past. You raised a lot of points there. I don't know where I stand on the cameras thing, because that's a complicated issue. I've heard arguments for and against, but I don't know where I stand, so I can't give you like a, a sophisticated of a, of a point as I can come up with with that. I don't know yet. Um, Do you have a stance on the ban the divisive ideas bills? I've never heard of it. What is it? So there's a bunch of bills that were based on the Trump executive order trying to ban, essentially ban divisive ideas, which just cashed out as critical race theory kinds of ideas. In eventually, Originally, it was for uh, training programs for um, uh, government officials, but it was used as a template for a bunch of 
Republicans in a bunch of country and a bunch of states to try to ban bills, you know, create bills that ban critical race theory outright or ban discussion of the problems of meritocracy or ban, you know, like all these kinds of things that we've been talking about here. Okay. I think I have heard of that. I just didn't know what it was called. See, I don't want, see, this is interesting because I don't think it's right to ban discussions about any topic. You can have a course called like Critical Race Theory 101, what is it, blah, 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 in the same manner that you can have a course on Marxism. But my concern is the application, and I'm sure it's sort of been implied throughout our conversation that my concern was the application and the logical conclusion of the application of CRT. So I'm not a, I'm not against talking about it. I'm not saying that you think that I'm against talking about it as well, but- if you know, I was just, I was curious how you felt about those bills. <sighs> As long as we're not banning discussions on what CRT is in schools, and I haven't, you know, looked more at, at what you're describing too. So that's just my take on it right there. Like my first entry shallow take here is like, I don't want to see bans on, you know, discussions of, of slavery or oppression or, you know, mm -hmm. Holocaust, et cetera. We, sh we should talk about these things too. So again, we're at this point where like you, have this view and i have this view and it's sort of part of your view but sort of not so mm -hmm. but that's what i think about that okay just curious oh, oh of course of course i'm curious. i mean one of the major pushbacks on critical race theory is that it's illiberal um and it's just illiberal. Been a, a sort of illiberal right that it critiques liberalism in various ways which it does it does critique liberalism though i don't think it seeks to overthrow liberalism but it's ironic that um, the critics of critical race theory have taken such an illiberal approach to uh, trying to deal with it in schools. How does CRT help? Am I right in positing that CRT wants to, to alleviate a lot of racism in America? Am I right in mm -hmm. thinking that? And then how does it do that if we have these discussions in, in the classroom? So the goal would be helping to make individuals aware of the way that these factors influence outcomes um, to correct for, you know, misconceptions that like this stuff doesn't matter anymore and isn't impacting things anymore, helps people better understand the challenges that they are facing, which helps them better overcome those challenges would be the sort of very basic, uh, straightforward kind of answer. Um, you know, so Another model that I've talked about in uh, other discussions has been the shift from deficit models to asset models in education, which is connected to these kind of critical race theory ideas that uh, we as a society have undervalued various uh, abilities and, and sort of cultural capital that these marginalized communities have and that we and that individual students have we, we, we've gotten to this place where we stereotype individual students as being at risk, for example, and by doing so we tend to reproduce those bad outcomes for those individuals who we've labeled in these kinds of ways. So how do we shift to a model where we look at those individuals and see what are the assets that they have that we can draw on to help them improve, help them uh, um, end up with better outcomes, essentially. Okay, this, this, I keep saying that word a lot. Okay, we keep, we, we're getting close to what Christian uh, wants and wanted me to ask you, because I asked him, what, what questions should I provide 
Aaron today on this episode, and he really wanted me to ask you about causality, less about okay. impacts and more about causality. I'm sure you know why, but, but I'm interested in hearing what your answer to that would be and why he wants me to ask you about um, causality and impacts. Yeah, so I think him and him and uh, Adam friended were sort of had this misunderstanding from the debate that um, a de-emphasis on intentions is equivalent to a de-emphasis on causes and that somehow CRT is not interested in the causes of bad outcomes. I don't know where this is coming from. It seems very contradictory to everything that we've talked about and everything that's been said here. And, and like to like just a basic straightforward account of critical race theory, which is all about trying to unearth these causes that are obscured by things like colorblind language and trying to see. And like to, to me, the whole the whole goal, right, is to look at those causes so that you can then address them, right? To look at the ways in which our society is, you know, continuing to produce worse outcomes for certain groups. What are the forces that are driving those worse outcomes? So, you know, for example, uh, in your discussion with Christian, he was talking about, you know, well, redlining exists, but then when redlining goes away, why don't people just move, right? Like that was sort of his, you know, they could just get out of the ghetto, right? They could just go somewhere better. Um, human beings, right, being human beings would certainly prefer to live in a better place, right, would certainly prefer to have better outcomes. So it's a reasonable question to ask, well, why aren't they? And the answers, I think, are going to be things about systemic poverty, about, you know, these being neighborhoods that are meaningful to them as a community, even though they have been ravaged in various ways by these racial policies and they want they, they want to rebuild the community rather than see it torn down or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just think I care very deep. I, I care so much about causality that I recognize that like what we think of as people's intent is not often what is actually the causal explanation in their behavior. It's a lot of forces driving them, compelling them, pressuring them. Um, and so taking those things more seriously is to me looking much more at the causes then if you just say, you know, some people are just lazy or they just intend to be bad or they just don't bother to improve their lot in life. And that's just on them. Hmm. I want to ask you another question that I asked Christian as well. Um, this mm -hmm. is something more broad. This is actually not about CRT. And I think we can, I think for the time being, we can put a, um, we can stop the discussion on CRT. I think hopefully we've moved a needle in some direction. I hope this conversation has provided people uh, evidence that disagreements can coexist, which is my primary goal. Do you, do you goal feel any less worried after talking to me about this? What, what was that? I'm curious, do you feel any less worried after talking to me about this? Less worried about CRT in the schools? Yeah. I don't feel less worried. I don't feel less worried. I, I wanted to have you on because I just I wanted to hear your take as somebody who is claiming that it's not worth worrying about. So I don't know. I mean, I think I still have to give it some time to like let what you said in or listen back to this conversation because I tend to be a bit of a, a like a slower thinker with these things. Though I, I guess I can be reactionary at times like LOL Fox News. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to like uncover my own like flaws in how I take in information. I've been reading Orwell a lot and he'll kind of do that to you. Like really consider what's being said here. Don't fall into these cults. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't expect you to immediately just agree with me. I was yeah, just curious yeah. if 
you know, having this conversation, hearing these alternative explanations for what I see going on in these fields. Um, hope, you know, I hope that it alleviates some amount of anxiety because I really do think that it's unfortunate that people are as afraid as they are. It's not, it's not a happy or healthy place to be in, I don't think. And like, that's one of the concerns about critical race theory, right? Is that it makes everybody anxious about race, right? So if you're sympathetic to that kind of concern. I, still it, I mean, I still think it does. If anything, I can just flat out say that like you and I will always, mm -hmm. we'll have our disagreements. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think, you know, like more, I don't want to just keep talking to people who agree with everything I say, which is why I want to have you on. I think it's healthy to have our disagreements and like I still hold mm -hmm. that disagreement I think I still think if we were to conclude like how did Paul change or not change his views I think I I have become well I wanted to show that I could sort of become a little bit more sympathetic to the left worldview because I want to give each worldview a chance but I also still hold fast to the view that being more race conscious does not alleviate racism and I still stand by that and I don't expect you to like instantly change your views by engaging with me as well. Like, I, you know, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I guess for me, I'm sympathetic to the model that MLK lays out in Birmingham jail for change, which is there are suppressed truths that society has to address. And the only way you address them is by creating enough conflict, enough tension um, that people are forced to address them. Right. That like if you don't create that, if you don't build that, then there's nothing that ever promotes change from the status quo. Um, and so I think some amount of increased anxiety and stress is the only way to make progress in these kinds of systems. Um, but ultimately, the goal is for everyone to be reconciled and like, you know, think about the gay rights kind of stuff. Right. There was a lot of anxiety. There was a lot of anger and fear and a lot of fear of indoctrination of children in particular into the gay lifestyle. Um, and, and some of that still exists in a lot of evangelical communities. Sure. But, you know, I think the media, the, the sort of and, and like the, by media, I mean, culture more broadly, right? Not just the kind of left media has essentially declared that one over, right? That like, we've all agreed being gay is not evil and teaching children that being gay is evil is probably not the right choice. I'm glad you brought up MLK because I want to ask you about one of his most famous quotes. Perhaps you already know what I'm talking about. It's the character quote judged by the color of their skin but not by the content of their character the gentleman in that video we described earlier brought up that quote and um do, how, how would you perceive that quote in the context of crt would you say that crt theorists are in line with how martin luther king uh, absolutely ho hopefully wanted to see the world but but it seems so contradiction contradictory and i'm sure you can understand why i'm raising this question is like well you know focus on character not on skin color how does that match martin luther king jr's quote right there and how would you answer well, so, so look at the full quote, right? The full quote says, I have a dream of a future in which my sons and daughters are treated this way, right? He's not saying we're there, right? He's saying this is where we want to go, right? This is the end goal. And CRT agrees with that. That is the end goal, right? And CRT agrees we're not there, right? And I think there is overwhelming agreement. There would be overwhelming agreement between them about what sorts of forces are continuing to prevent us from getting there. And it's not the left talking about race. It is the right continuing to want these systems of inequality to persist 
for a variety of reasons. And like you could also say people on the left have also neoliberals have reinforced this stuff too. Um, but my point is, I think, I think the CRT stuff and MLK are in strong agreement on that particular quote. Um, and I will just say, if that's the only quote that people are familiar with with MLK, I highly recommend reading Letter from a Birmingham it's a, Jail. Oh, that's a great, it's a great piece of writing. I read it in college a couple semesters back. It's great. Where he where he very explicitly calls out white moderates and says that oh, white yeah. moderates are, are worse than the KKK, right? When it comes to preventing social progress. Yeah. That's the kind of claim where if a critical race theorist made that claim today, they would be melted down, right? Like they would be exploded by a million people and such. But like MLK is not wrong. Those I think it's true that the vast majority of people are not KKK members, but that they want to continue to have a fairly comfortable life. And if social justice is making their life uncomfortable, then they're going to be like, well, can you lay off the social justice a little bit? Right. And that's not what we want to. That's not the answer that we want to uh, accept. So I translate that as, and this will be my next question for you, um, we can get to a world in which we judge people based on the merit of their character by first putting more of an emphasis on how racial inequalities are being perpetuated to this day. Right, exactly. By right. recognizing, by being more honest about how we are not already living in that world, we make it possible maybe to get to that world. Okay, so I want well, I well, I would love to see more discussions then on 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 character, and it's very hard for me to get around to get to a discussion about character when we are so focused on on race. And I I, I know we're we're going on an hour and a half now, and you and I this is good because you and I can kind of go at these ideas for quite some time. But because I just keep having more questions for you and more questions for you, but I'll try to keep the counter arguments to just just a couple more, maybe maybe two more. Mm -hmm. Maybe this will be my last one before I ask you. Uh, the question about books, actually, that I had asked Christian. Okay. So, so about character, is that, is that what you're asking? My my thoughts on character, right? Yes. As as, yes. as a virtue theorist, right? As someone who likes virtue theory, I'm I'm a big fan of talking about character. I think it's very valuable. What you need to understand is historically, discussion of character has been used as one of these ways to get around discussions of systemic racism as a way to say the difference between these people's outcomes is about their character, not about the systems that are oppressing them, right? And it has all of, you know, like you can tell a really upbeat story about how, you know, our enemies want to say that everyone has no freedom and we're all oppressed and so we can't progress. But if you really work hard and believe in yourself, then you really can prove them wrong in this kind of way. And if you happen to be one of those people who does succeed, then like you're telling yourself a narrative that's very pleasing where you did manage to overcome all of those obstacles. And that's like, that's a very easy mindset um, to get into. But I'm, you know, I'm very strongly sympathetic to moral luck critiques about stuff like this, where like, you know, you're probably familiar with the phrase there, but for the grace of God go I, right? Yeah. Your character is a matter of luck, that you happen to be who you are with your particular advantages and disadvantages, everything about you, every feature about you, in my opinion, is a matter of luck. I would say, um, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, part of me, I'm trying to keep the interruptions to a minimum because I want to give you a fair no chance problem. to do what you say, but but this sort of stings me to my core. I think personality mm-hmm. is a matter of luck. Character can be changed over time. I think personality is something that's deeply ingrained into you by birth. We know this from science, but character is like something you choose to not to have or not. Like I had a very shitty character for most of my life. I mean, you saw the video about masturbation. I wasn't into like working out or anything. I was a degenerate and I had to build my character over time. We would not have been able to have this discussion four years ago. You were, you were not a degenerate. You were just a guy who liked to masturbate. But yes, go ahead. I mean, there was uh, there were other things in my life I was doing, but that's sort of besides the point. Like I was drinking, not a whole lot, but I knew people who, I mean, you saw the video. I Compared to where I am now, I want to say of myself that I was like more of a, I mean, dude, I was waking up at like two o'clock in the afternoon. I was all over the place. But I think that's besides the point. Though I am defending myself against that, I do think I was a degenerate. But what I'm trying to say is that I think character can be developed. I don't think it's a, it's a cause of luck. Oh, sure. Char- no, no, no. Let me let me clarify. Sure, please. Character can absolutely be developed. I'm a virtue theorist, right? We believe in the development of character through habituation, yeah. right? But whether you are lucky enough to be the kind of person in the sort of situation whose character develops or not is beyond your control, right? Like take you, you, for example, right? You were lucky enough, or I would say unlucky enough, right? To encounter Jordan Peterson and like his information, you know, broke you out of your current pattern of behavior and shifted you into a new pattern of behavior, right? Hopefully maybe a more productive, healthier pattern of behavior. Um, In that situation though, right? You didn't like choose to luck into coming across Jordan Peterson. You just happened to in that particular moment, right? It, you know, you think about people who grow up like I'm I'm a highly privileged individual. I was raised by a bunch of educators who like wanted to help me build all of these kinds of skills and all this sort of stuff. Lots of people don't have that kind of advantage. And like it does impact the building of their quote unquote character in this kind of way. Um, so all of this is to me is just to say you know, everything about you is the result of factors beyond your control. We can still deal with, you know, praise and blame and, and moral consequences. Um, I don't think extent. it's everything, man. I don't think it's everything. And again, part of I my know. because let me recommend that you check out the check out the chapter of um, Mortal Questions by Thomas Nagel called Moral Luck. Read, read his article on moral luck and just wrestle with his arguments because I think he makes an incredibly compelling case. You can just yeah. send me the name of, of the book and I'll yeah, no problem. Thank you. Okay, but but continue on if you had anything else to say about that, please. I mean, you know, this is a this is a, an argument that conservative-minded individuals are going to tend to not like because it takes away personal. They think it takes away personal responsibility, and to some extent, it it does raise serious problems about sure. like the, the the classic model of personal responsibility. Um, but I think that's good. Like, I think our our you know old-timey model of personal responsibility is incompatible with what we know about history, what we know about psychology, these kinds of things. And so we need to replace it with a newer, healthier model, one that takes into account the pervasive influence of luck in every single person's life. The most progressive thing I've ever heard. (laughs) And I don't mean that as any disrespect, because this is like, oh, did you freeze up on me? Oh, there we go. Did you hear that horrible thing I said? No, I missed it. (laughs) This is the most progressive thing I've ever heard. Dang it. Yeah, this is this is this is why I'm a throwing progressive. <laughs> Zoom is trying to censor us. We've gone on for too long. Okay. That's okay. Okay. Again, I'm glad we can have our disagreements coexist. Like I said on Twitter, we're gonna try to not rip our throats off. Okay. But yes, please, please send me that and mm-hmm. I will try to wrestle. Yeah. I will- and to be clear, 
my views about free will have nothing to do with critical race theory. I know some people think that critical race theory de denies the existence of people's free will. My views about free will from analytic philosophy, which is not critical race theory. Um, and so like, I just think it's, it's valuable to make that distinction, right? Many people in critical race theory are gonna argue that humans have more agency or, or they're gonna, uh, look, look, even if you believe that humans don't have free will, you still believe they have what we call agency in the sociological sense of like, you know, one person is going to respond to scenario X this way. Another person is going to respond to scenario X this way. And there's going to be differences between them. We can call that agency, right? I don't think it's genuine free will, but that's, that, that, that's something we can call agency in that sense. Okay. I will self-censor myself and, and put a, put a, closed book cover on the the okay. <laughs> debate between us and close it up for, for this episode at least before we head off i do want to ask you what thinkers have influenced your thinking authors mm -hmm. writers even i don't know directors maybe well, who's who's influenced the way you think so 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 many oh, yeah. i mean obviously i thomas nagel right heavily um the mortal questions book is one of the best books in philosophy in my opinion um but you know, I'll, I'll stick to our current discussion, right? Recent authors that I've really loved in this area, mostly in the post-colonial kind of world, are um, John Walensky's book, Learning to Divide the World, which is about the history of colonial knowledge production from about 17, mid 1700s up to the present, um, how you know, um, European uh, explorers essentially amassed a wealth of knowledge and use it to oppress people like it's a really interesting book about like if you're curious about the relationship between whiteness and science that to me is the best book um and then a follow-up book to that that is really good is uh the gods of the upper air um I'm, I'm blanking on the author but you can google the name and you'll find them and that's about um primarily about the boaz group which is a group of anthropologists who upended our assumptions about human history and human nature and gender and all these kinds of things bring about a lot of the kind of social change that we think of today um as being progressive uh so i think those are those are, are really two good books that go well together so I'll, I'll i'll give you those right on thank you for coming on yeah. this with with me please no problem keep holding your views and i will keep holding mine i really enjoyed i actually enjoyed this this was the first time i ever actually had somebody on my show i do another podcast which isn't anything about politics but this is the first time i've actually ever had a reasonable conversation with somebody who dis who disagrees with me on a lot of core issues especially those last ones about responsibility etc cetera, etc cetera. so i don't want to you know please keep doing what you're doing that way we have more conversations like this be as progressive as you want, go ahead. And then we'll just like, I don't want to say, you know, you should stop thinking this way. How dare you? Cause now we, we can have more conversations and conversations. I don't know if they solve anything, but they at least shine light on these subjects. So thanks for being here, man. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me on. Uh, and where can people find your work online? Bef oh man, Zoom is, yeah, we're gonna. Yeah, my, my my internet is getting freaky for some reason. I'm not it sure. It might why. be mine. Um, did you get that last question? I just said like, where where can people find your work online? Oh, sorry. Uh, you can find so on Twitter at ETV Pod. Um, on all the pod apps, you can find uh, Embrace the Void and Philosophers in Space. Those are my two podcasts. Podcast, excuse me. I have 
a monthly um, article at the Skeptic UK mag, not the American Shermer version, the Merseyside Skeptics version. Um, so yeah, I think those are the main places. Great. All right, everybody, thanks for listening to another episode of Eyes Unclouded. Be nice in the comments section, or I don't know what I'll do. Just be nice. <laughs> don't be a jerk. All right, everybody, peace out. You may find a way to lift the curse, you understand? Yes. 